All right, let's go to Acts chapter 9. And we're going to cover not the entire chapter, but just the... the chapter 9 is divided, not quite half, but it's uh, verses 9 through 31, I believe it is, both, uh, talk about Paul or Saul. And then the rest of the chapter talks about Peter. Kind of gives us a slow introductions to Saul. And then for a little while, it just takes a break and starts talking about the Apostle Peter. For most of the Gospels, Peter was like the main, he was the movie, the main star of the Gospel, besides Jesus. But then when you get to Acts, and especially the Epistles, it's all Paul. And so it takes, we, we kind of almost forget that Peter was part of this thing. And he, he comes in uh, in Acts chapter number 9. And so we'll take some time to look through him. But tonight we're going to look at the conversion of Saul. I was really uh, nervous about this because, not nervous, was concerned that I wanted, I wanted to get it all correct because there are similar, there are several accounts of Saul's conversion that, like in, like Luke gives us in Acts, but Saul gives and Paul gives several times throughout. There's two other places in, just in the book of Acts, and then all throughout the epistles. And so if we read one account and one, and one story, uh, we don't get everything. And then we read it somewhere else and it's like, wait a minute, that's not what that said, or that was different than what that said. It's kind of like reading a story that happens in all four of the Gospels. So you kind of have to read them all and then gather it all together, and then you and then you begin to get a, an understanding of the story. And then what we're also looking at tonight is, I, since we, uh, we know that Galatians is one of the other places where Paul gives a brief uh, backstory to his conversion and early ministry, and so... The first chapter of Galatians kind of explains a three-year break that takes place in between a verse or two verses. And so I wanted to make sure we got all these these ducks in a row before we went through. And so hopefully that is the case, but as ducks can be, they might wander off. So good luck to us all. Let's look in chapter 9 and verse number 1. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of, the, of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Is it, uh, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, seeing no man. Uh, one of the things I told you in Acts 22 is one of the other accounts. And Paul himself says almost the opposite there, that they didn't, they didn't hear anything, but they saw a bright light. So you have to put them together. When we get to that, I'll explain a little bit. Verse 8, And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. And behold, he prayeth. And is seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Let's stop there and we'll, we'll go, we'll uh, catch up to that and then just back up and make some, make some uh, observations and then at the end make a couple of uh, main, main observations and takeaways and then some questions for consideration. 
Really what we're seeing here at the conversion of Saul is yet another evangelistic narrative. For several chapters, we've, we've seen how the gospel has reached specific people or specific groups of people. And what we're coming to is what we might call the hard case, the hard, the tough nut to crack. And that's the, that's the soon to be apostle Paul, but right now he is the Pharisee Saul. He's the enemy of Christ. He is the, uh, he is the impetus behind the, the massive uh, persecution and uh, and ultimate spread of uh, Judea, uh, of of these Jewish Christians throughout the throughout the world, and so uh, we divided it up here. I just gave you three main points there for for kind of just sections. So if you want to write notes in between those things, and then uh, we'll look at the main main takeaways here. So we have Saul on the road, and then we have Saul in Damascus, and then Saul in Jerusalem. Saul in Jerusalem, we'll get to this and I'll explain it more, but Saul in Jerusalem happens about three years after uh, this story is happening here. We read through it in Acts, in Acts 9 and it sounds like all of these things happen very consecutively, but uh, I'll, show you, I'll show you the verses there, but it's a three-year gap between those two things. So in, uh, back in verse number one, Saul is traveling to Damascus from Jerusalem. That's about a six-day journey. He has, uh, he has gotten permission from the high priest in Jerusalem to uh, basically arrest warrants for any Christians that he finds in Damascus. And it's interesting to to question or to wonder why he chose Damascus. And, I mean, in a, on a six-day journey by donkey or whatever it was, or by wagon, I guess he had to have some sort of a caravan to be able to, if he intended to capture people and bring them back, he had to have some sort of some sort of uh, device, you know, some sort of wagon. Wagon. That would be my that would be my choice. But he had to have a way to bring them back. So this is. And he, he's probably passing hundreds of cities in between there. He could have found other places, but uh, some would some would speculate that uh, Damascus had a very large concentration of these dispersed Christians, and so he chose to go up there uh, to uh, to attack the church and to really uh, bring them bring them uh, back for trial. In a way, I wonder how he was able to do this, just because um, this is another country. It's not like it's like you getting permission to go to Canada and arrest people who broke laws down here. Like you, you don't get to do that. And and it wasn't even political authority. These are religious authorities. You know, you, you should have no jurisdiction there. But uh, they definitely uh, he he wanted to uh, do this. And the reason that he did this, the reason that he was so extreme about this, is because he took it personally uh, that uh, this this idea of of uh, someone claiming to be the son of God. He says in verse number, uh, see, I, this is where I'm getting all my accounts mixed up. I think it was in Acts 26, he said, verse number 10. And if you want to turn over there, I'm going to show you a couple of things in, in this passage. This is the one passage that will really, extra passage we'll take some time in and look at. Acts 26.10, he is giving his um, testimony to King Agrippa. But he said in verse number um yeah, verse number 11. He was exceedingly mad against these people. He took this personally. This was, this was, uh, this was a, a personal offense to him that, that people would follow a man named Jesus. That people would claim that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. That he is the Lamb of God. That he is the Messiah. Uh, most people would just say, that's crazy. I'm not going to believe it. Paul said, that you, you offended me so much that I'm going to attack you and put in jail anybody who even claims to follow this teaching, or as we see in verse number two, the way. That's what they call it. We see it. It's 
it's uh, this phrasing here is kind of read over it in verse number two without really paying attention to it. But this was actually a term that was used several times throughout Scripture to describe Christians uh, pre the pre the name Christian, which was also given to Christians to describe their religious leanings before they were called Christians. They were called people of the way. Um, so uh, Paul uh, in verse twenty in verse number ten of, 20, of chapter twenty six he he said that he imprisoned the saints. So no doubt Damascus was not his first uh, journey out to uh, his first manhunt, but uh, he probably did it before. Verse twenty, verse ten, uh, which thing I did, I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. So uh, makes me think that uh, he's he's remembering Stephen there, and possibly many others. Verse eleven, I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. He tried to get them, much like you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, how they would uh, put them in in some some uh, horrible position, and then just say, "We'll let you free if you will uh, denounce Christ, and if you don't, we'll kill you." And that's what he did there. And he tried to get them to blaspheme and denounce Christ. And it says, "And being exceedingly mad against them, I, I persecuted them even in a strange city." So again, talking about going to Damascus, and he goes in and talks about that. Uh, we'll we'll maybe come back to that in just a moment, but. Uh, so he, he uh, imprisoned the saints. He approved of the murder of Christians. He compelled them to blaspheme. He uh, was extremely furious, extremely mad at them. He hunted them down, uh, all followed them into these foreign cities. And now in, we go back to chapter 9, and we see that he has permission from the high priest to arrest and extradite them to Jerusalem. And so he's on his way to find out people who are of the way. I'm going to give you a couple of verses if you want to look at them later on. This, I told you that this, this phrase, the way, describes um, early Christians. You also see that in chapter 19, chapter 22, and chapter 24, uh, that uh, how it's described people of the way. And so that would be, you know, like you go to the Baptist church. Nowadays, I'm a Christian is like a very... Um, acceptable uh, declaration. People are like, oh, okay, you're Christian. No big deal. This day and time, you didn't... You, they, first of all, you didn't call yourself a Christian. Other people called you a Christian, and it was a more... It was a derogatory term. And this is what the way is. And and the, the reason that this name was called likely because of the way that they spoke about Jesus. Remember John 14, 6, when Jesus said, I am the way. This is the way. The way to salvation. The way to God. Remember, the, the, uh, the, the Jews believed in, in God, and Paul, uh, or Saul believed in Jehovah God, but what he didn't believe was that Jesus is God. Jesus is the, the human manifestation of God. And so Jesus coming down and saying, I am the way to get to the God you believe in. And Saul said, well, I believe in the God you're talking about, but I don't believe that you're the way through him. In fact, that's blasphemous, and uh, so that's, that's why he was against it. So uh, these people... Who, uh, who who were who followed Christ were kind of categorized in this in this way for uh, for the, those reasons I just gave you. So as he's traveling down, he is he is with a group of people. He's got a caravan with him, a posse, if you will, and they're they're coming nearing Damascus, and suddenly a bright light uh, shines. Uh, if we take all of the accounts and uh, kind of compare them together. It seems like all of the people that were in this group saw a bright light. Only Saul saw Jesus in the light, 
and they and and only Saul had the actual conversation. They didn't. Uh, the other people with him didn't hear uh, the the conversation that Jesus had with Saul. But he falls on the ground there, and and, uh, and uh, he falls on the ground because it's a bright light and it's scary. And, and you know, you're out in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden a bright light comes. He falls on the ground, and he hears the voice. He hears Jesus's voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Just as Saul took Christians personally offensive, Jesus took the attack on Christians personally. Uh, he's saying, you're persecuting me. Jesus has already been been uh, resurrected and ascended back to heaven. He's no longer physically on the earth, but was, as Paul persecuted the church and persecuted Christians, Jesus says, you've done this to me. Much like when Jesus told us when we serve the least of these among us, we're doing it unto Christ. Well, persecuting those uh, are also uh, persecuting the church of Christ is persecuting Christ. And so, and Jesus says, "Why are you persecuting me? Why are you attacking me? Why are you going after?" And now, now, if, we, if we're reading over it, it seems like Paul's Paul. I keep calling him Paul. You know who I'm talking about, right? Okay. Uh, it seems like he's asking a really dumb question, like, "Who are you, Lord?" Because the way we use Lord is like, "There's only one, right?" Jesus is Lord. He's like, "Who are you, Lord?" It's like. It's like Cliff calls me on the phone. I'm like, who is this, Cliff? You know, like, why do you have to ask? <laughs> you already said my name, you know. But he's not, uh, he's not saying, he's not, he doesn't know that this is Jesus. Uh, remember this morning we looked at the, at the word Lord. Uh, God said to Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? And we had all caps. And it was Jehovah. Here, the word Lord is, uh, is, he's, he, it's a, it's a respectful term, but it's not, it's not the term to describe the Lord Jehovah God. Uh, he's just saying, who are you? And so then Jesus answered, and the Lord said, I am Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. Now, much more had to go on in this conversation, and we know, based on chapter 26, that a lot more went on in this conversation because Jesus tells him a lot about what's going on. As we read through this, uh, this account, he doesn't tell him everything that's happening, but in chapter 26 and chapter 22, we see that Paul includes some different details that tell us that in this conversation somewhere, uh, Saul realizes that he is totally wrong about everything. He got absolutely everything completely wrong about life, about religion, about Jesus, about Christianity, and about God. And Paul uh, becomes a becomes a Christian at, during this conversation. He is personally won to the Lord by Jesus Himself. And uh, so, and then, and then the question there: What will that? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, God? And Jesus says, "All right, I want you to keep going to Damascus." I want you to wait there. I want you to find uh, find this specific place, this, this guy named Judas, and I want you to stay there. And uh, someone, uh, you you will be told what to do. Remember, uh, I think Abraham right away. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. Just go, and I'll tell you what to do when we get there. That's what he tells Saul. In a way, I wrote this down uh, that this is kind of uh, Saul's version of Acts 1:8 when Jesus told the the disciples. He says, "Don't go anywhere. You're going to be my disciples, but first, uh, you're going to be my witnesses throughout the whole world, but first, I want you to go and just wait. I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. And they waited a week. And and then now Saul here is is being told kind of the same thing. Uh, you're going to be my chosen vessel, Saul. You're going to go to the Gentiles, but I want you to go to Damascus and I want you to wait. And uh, it would be there that he would meet Ananias. It would be there he would be uh, discipled and, and uh, baptized. He'd receive the Holy Spirit and he would, uh, he would uh, receive his sight back. So, uh, he, he, uh, he, and he, and he, and he says something interesting in verse number five. Jesus says, 
Uh, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Uh, Paul says this also in chapter 26 and verse 14, uh, this, this idea uh, that Jesus says to him here. Uh, and what he's, what he's saying, Jesus is saying here, he's referring to it like an ox goad. So if you were a, a farmer and you, had, and you had oxen, you would take this pointy stick and to keep them in line, you'd poke them. And uh, just maybe like you would use with a horse, you would, you would uh, use the spurs to uh, poke them a little bit to say, get going. Uh, get, or, you know, obey my commands. And so when the ox would uh, get out of line, he poked. And to kick against the prick, it causes unnecessary pain. It causes, uh, it, it's more than you needed to suffer. You just needed to be poked to get in line. But when you kick against a pokey object, it hurts even worse, right? You follow what I'm saying here? And so he's saying, Paul, you're kicking against the thing that I'm trying to use to bring you to Christ. He says, and Jesus says, it's hard, isn't it? Remember my youth pastor uh, always had this statement, whenever you do something stupid and hurt yourself, he'd say, uh, life's tough when you're stupid, isn't it? Because you hurt yourself a lot, you do stupid stuff, and you hurt yourself, and he goes, yeah, life's tough when you do stump, dumb stuff like that. Or he would say, if you're going to be stupid, you got to be tough. Okay? Because uh, that's just how it's going to work, that's how life's going to work for you. But uh, that's kind of what Jesus is saying there. He's like, Paul, or Saul, I haven't changed your name yet, but uh, if you're going to keep fighting, it's going to keep hurting. And you're gonna, you better, you, you better uh, give in, and uh, and Saul does, uh, and so he tells him he goes go and go into the city. I want you to wait for a man named Ananias, and uh, as as uh, this uh, this scene ends, uh, the the uh, eyesight from Paul from Saul is gone. He's he is temporarily blind, and so he needs these men who were going to accompany him to Damascus now to lead him into Damascus because he has no idea where he's going. He's completely uh, helpless and uh, very dependent. And so uh, they and they didn't, uh, those those were with him, heard a voice, but didn't see anybody. And in uh, Acts 22 and verse 9, Paul explains that they did see the bright light, but didn't see or hear anyone specifically. And all of that would just help Paul's testimony that though they didn't hear a voice, they didn't hear a conversation, they could testify that Paul had not imagined these events. Paul wasn't completely crazy. Yeah, something weird did happen out there on the road to Damascus. Whether or not it's what this guy, what Paul is actually saying happened. Uh, but I do wonder how this affected them. We don't know any of the people that were with him, but I wonder if any of them uh, questioned Paul. What, what happened out there? You know they had to. Uh, and, I mean, he had, he had walking a blind guy now into town. you got to ask, what's going on? You just lost your sight. Something just happened to you, Saul. You're a different person from just five minutes ago. And I wonder if any of them uh, became uh, became believers, or at least uh, the seed was planted, and eventually they became believers. But we don't know any of those any of those guys. We don't know if that how that would have played out. So we get to number the section two, Saul in Damascus, and it says there in verse number nine that he was three days without his sight, and he didn't eat or drink anything. So he's fasting uh, for three days. Paul sits in a room uh, in a uh, in the house of a man named Judas, uh, not eating or drinking anything. Uh, verse 11 tells us that he was praying. It says there in verse number 10, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street, which is called Straight. I read that that is still in existence today. Uh, straight Street. And inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. I was I was listening to this. I was I had my phone out, was listening to the scriptures a little bit, just trying to get it. And, I, and a thought came when I, when I read through that. Paul is currently praying to God, and God is currently talking to Ananias. 
Think about that. You know, like, you ever try to talk to someone on the phone and you know they're not listening to you, they're doing something else? Now we're like, sometimes I'm praying, God's like, yep, I hear you. And he's taking care of like a million other things going at once, but that's because God can multitask like that. But, uh, so Saul is praying and God is hearing his prayer, but at the same time he's talking to Ananias. And God is preparing two people to converge and meet and, uh, and for the, for the, for the sake of the gospel. So he tells them, uh, he, he says that, uh, uh, well, I missed, missed something here, so let me go back. So he says, uh, so Ananias says, uh, verse number, uh, uh, verse number 13, Ananias said, Lord, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints in Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. So he's very nervous to, to do this. Like, you know, are you sure about this? Because we heard that he was on his way to do the very opposite of, what you're saying. He was here to arrest. Are you sure that he didn't trick you, God? That he's just not faking this idea of being a Christian so that he can get in and penetrate from within or, or you know, whatever. And God says, verse number 15, Go thy way. He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and, and kings. You saw that in 26 when he spoke to Agrippa. And the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. So Ananias goes. And we'll pick it up in verse 17 for just a second. But so we see on verse number nine here that, that Paul has uh, been changed. And the thing that changed him was seeing Christ, was having experience with Christ. And seeing Jesus, experiencing Jesus, uh, wasn't the last piece of the puzzle that Paul needed. Jesus was that piece of the puzzle that totally changed the whole puzzle. Paul had the Bible understanding. Paul had the training. Paul had the zeal and the desire. He had his his understanding of God. But when he met Jesus, all of that changed. So I can just see Saul sitting there on a bed uh, for three days, not eating or drinking, and just reflecting. If this was a movie, this would be that montage where they play music, there's no speaking going on, and you see these passing images of Paul crying and Paul thinking and, and going through... And this is, and this is going through his mind. He's reflecting. He is reevaluating his entire life because his whole life he has been taught the law. He's an expert in this. He's the cream of the crop when it comes to understanding the law. And he thought he had it all figured out. Has there been a point in your life like that when you thought you had it all figured out and then something comes and you're like, whoa, I have to rethink everything. I mean, this is totally different than everything I thought it was going to be. And it's that one little piece that didn't finish the puzzle. In fact, it made you start all over. And I think for three days, it's like Paul's getting this this seminary retraining of uh, you've got it all messed up, Paul. You, you've got all the facts, but you got them all in the wrong places. And Jesus is the one thing that fixed all of that for him. And so he's he is waiting and he is reevaluating, probably even re- repenting, uh, or not? He's already repented, but he's he is. Uh, Reflecting, he is feeling bad for all of the things he realizes. Uh, I was on the wrong team, and uh, I persecuted the wrong folks, and I put to death and persecuted and and made a lot of innocent people suffer unnecessarily. So I feel like uh, I imagine there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of tears. Even uh, imagine Paul, Jesus is telling Paul, "You're going to go and be my witness to the Gentiles." But you're also going to be my witness to the Jews. And Paul feared what we eventually will see, that he's going to have to uh, be accepted and not only teach, but 
fellowship with the families of those that he persecuted. Some might have just gotten out of jail. Can you imagine? You're a Christian in the local Jerusalem church. Paul comes, Saul comes in, arrests you, sends you to jail. You, you're kind of mad, you're ticked off at this guy, and you've been in jail just, just before Saul goes to Damascus. And then, you're at church, you finally get out of prison, you go back to church, and guess who's sitting there on the front row? You know, like, there's Saul, like, what's he doing here? You know, we're, we're not exactly, I'm not inviting him over to my house, we're not joining care groups, you know. This guy killed my wife. This guy imprisoned me for a certain amount of time. So, Paul has to deal with this stuff. There's a lot of baggage that, um, as we read through the epistles, we see how Paul has to deal with that, and Paul even has to learn how to forgive himself uh, for for the uh, the sins of his of his past. So uh, he's reflecting, and uh, Ananias uh, comes and re and it has to be reassured that God is uh, that really he really wants this, and so God reassures him of this, and Ananias has nothing to fear. God tells him to go to this. Uh, and God tells Ananias. What we see if we compare the, the passages in chapter 22 and chapter 26, God tells Ananias what happened to Saul back in on the Damascus road. He tells him what happened, what I did, and he says, I told him this. And so Saul knows, I think, part of the picture, but Ananias comes and fills in the missing pieces. But at the same time, he confirms that this is really what God wants from you. You, you weren't hallucinating out there. God told me the same thing he told you. You're going to be his chosen vessel. And later on, Ananias will be the one that is used to, to uh, kind of introduce Paul into the church. So uh, with Ananias, his visit, Saul receives his sight. It says that uh, there were like scales that had fell from his eyes there. Verse number 18, he received his sight. He arose. He was baptized. Uh, he is, uh, verse number 19, and he uh, begins to uh, recover from this and stays with the disciples in Damascus. I wonder what that must have been like because they were probably scared knowing that the man who had the authority to hurt many of them uh, was now there, but now he was there for a different reason. And so that must have been that must have been kind of awkward that first Sunday when Paul uh, came and asked to uh, be a part of the fellowship. Uh, but then he gets to uh, verse number 20, and it says Paul, Paul had some zeal. I tell you what, I mean, Paul was going the wrong way before Christ, but he was zealous about it. Now he gets set in the right direction, and he is he is off. I mean, he's like, you know, the way you're you're at the park. Maybe you have your dog. We have our dog. You know, and he's and like he's like pulling at the leash. He's on his back feet, and as soon as you let him go, he's, he just takes off. That's Paul. Uh, he is ready to do something for God, and in a way, I feel like he's trying to make up for all this lost time. And so, verse twenty, straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues. He's going straight to the the heart of it and preaching. But instead of of uh, the old message, now he's saying, yeah, Jesus really is the Son of God. And I imagine that he even had to spend some time saying, I know, I know, I know I got it wrong before. But here, this it makes so much sense this way. And he begins to, uh, and he was in such a gifted speaker, in such a smart and uh, uh, very, um, uh, a very intellectual man that he was able to do it. Verse 21, all that heard him were amazed and said, is this not he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem? and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this very is very Christ. So uh, there, there's, there's, um, there is uh, Saul uh, beginning to uh, change people's thinking. He's, he's getting people mad at him too. People try to kill him here. We get down to verse number, uh, verse number, I've lost my place here. 
uh, oh, well, it's verse 20 on to down to verse number 25. Uh, the people there didn't like what he was saying, so they put out the APB. They're setting up roadblocks. They're trying to find him and kill him. Paul gets word of it. He is lowered down. I always think of this little Easter basket. I don't know why I think about it. He's in a window wall. He's in this little pink and yellow Easter basket, and he's being lowered down the thing. And here's Paul in an Easter basket like this big. And I don't know why I always think of it that way, but I don't know why a basket. Why not a bucket? Maybe they didn't have buckets back then, but uh, why not just, you know, some of you know how to tie a noose or something, slip knot. Just, just ride the rope, man. Why do you need a little basket? You know, my kid's not going to have anything on Easter. But uh, anyways, he's lowered in a basket, and he escapes that way. This begins one of the most adventurous Christian stories. I mean, Paul is going to tell us about some crazy things that happened to him on his uh, on his uh, journey for Christ and as he uh, begins to spread the news. Let's real quickly let's just finish up in um, chapter uh, point section 3 there. Saul in Jerusalem begins in verse number 26. Paul gets to Jerusalem finally. Now this is where I said there's a three-year gap. If you read Galatians chapter 1, Paul says, uh, immediately I didn't go and confer with the, gen- with, with the apostles in Jerusalem. I went into Arabia. And so for three years, he has been in Arabia uh, doing uh, doing ministry there. And uh, once he gets to Jerusalem there, though, he, he needs Barnabas to arrange a meeting. This also makes us, uh, Galatians clears up a little bit what's going on. We look in verse number 27. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way. According to Galatians 2, he only met with Peter and with John because the others were too afraid to see him. Even after three years, they're still afraid to to you know put themselves out there. And so it wasn't for 14 years until Paul meets the rest of the apostles. Paul's been in ministry for 14 years, and he's only known by reputation that, yeah, he had a pretty colorful past, and now he's being used by God in a special way. And so... Uh, he he is in Jerusalem. He continues to do the things that he did in Damascus that had made him flee Damascus. He's preaching Jesus. He's winning people, and he's making lots of more enemies than he's winning people. In in um, Jerusalem, it's the same way. He Verse 28, he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem, speaking boldly. Here, it's the Grecians. Remember the Grecians or the Hellenists? The same people that killed Stephen. Now, they don't like it, what Paul is saying. He was on their team at one point. He was the one that held their coats while they stoned Stephen. Now he switched teams, and they don't like it. And so they try to kill him, uh, and so he has to flee, and he makes his way up to Tarsus, which is his hometown. He's going to spend quite a bit of time in Tarsus. Uh, in Second in Corinthians chapter 11, uh, Paul talks about a bunch of things that happened to him, uh, and, and namely one of the things when he had his heavenly vision. Most would say that it happened while he spent while he was up in Tarsus during this time. So you read that in Second Corinthians eleven twenty five and then chapter twelve verse one. Uh, this probably happened during his time in Tarsus. Now the scripture takes a break here a little bit and stops talking about Saul for a little bit, switches over to Peter because now Jesus has cracked the tough nut Saul. He's converted one, but now he's got a tough nut in Peter. Because Peter is already a Christian, but he's still kind of a racist. Like, it's still just for Jews. It's still, no, you guys stay out. He's, he's gone a little bit into Samaria and talking to some people, but I imagine that's making him uncomfortable. And so he has to work in Peter's life and get him, because there is, God has in the future plan a great revival among the Gentile world. 
And if the Jerusalem Jews, especially the apostles, their hearts aren't prepared for it, they're going to reject it. And so he has to, he works in their, in their lives. Let me just real quickly do, uh, do these three takeaways. Number one, God is not intimidated by a person's past or a person's present. The power of Christ can, can change anyone, literally anyone. Romans 5.20 tells us that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So grace is always more abundant than a person's sin. That means, number two, that God is at work in people's lives even before we realize it. We read about this with Paul. We read about this with the Ethiopian eunuch as he was being uh, being prepared to meet Philip in the desert. We read all throughout the Scriptures about how people are being... Uh, God is orchestrating events in our lives to bring us to Him, not just after we're saved, to bring us to His ultimate plan, but to bring us to salvation. He brings us there. Uh, you can look in John 6, 44 and John 12, 32. See some verses about that. Uh, so that means, in, in, for us, that means we should never give up hope on people. We should never stop praying for people to be saved, for people to give their life to Christ, whatever uh, whatever their need may be, uh, because God is, might be working behind the scenes, and we look at them the way that the, the Jerusalem church would have looked at Saul and go, Man, there's no way. He'll never. Uh, she'll never. Uh, but God might be doing something behind the scenes. And God is working in, in people's lives, but uh, we don't always see it. Uh, number three, ultimately an encounter with Jesus is what changed Saul's life. It wasn't Bible knowledge. It wasn't going to synagogue. It wasn't extra training. It wasn't a little bit more zeal. He had all of that to the full, and yet he didn't have Christ, and that was what was missing and Jesus is what makes everything else make sense. He's what makes religion make sense. And really, without Jesus, all you have is religion. Uh, the Bible doesn't speak too highly of religion, uh, except in one or two cases. So without Him, everything that we're doing is confusing, it's frustrating, it's exhausting, and it's pointless. And this is why Jesus must be the focus in everything we do, not just as a church, but as individuals. Why do you do what you do? For Jesus. Do it for Jesus. I don't do it for myself. I don't do it for for my family. I do it for Christ. Uh, why? Uh, so, uh, and so, since Jesus no longer appears visibly to people, the question we must ask then is: How are we representing? How how good of a job are we doing representing him as a church and as individuals, as a family? Uh, how how well are we representing Christ? Because he is what people. He is who people need. They don't need to come to church. You know, we talk about, hey, invite someone to church this Easter. Really what they need is Jesus. So if you want to really help them out, give them the gospel. And then they'll, you know, and then try to get them to church. But it's, sometimes it's easier to bridge that gap a little by saying, hey, come to church. But as long as we understand, church isn't going to change their life. I mean, we, we go to church, but not because we want our lives changed, but because our lives have been changed. And we, if we can convince, maybe one of the one of the great harms that we can do to people is is convince them that all you need to do is come to church. No, 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 that's not going to fix you. There's no magical spells that we say here that make your day better and brighter. It's it's Jesus, and if you can get Him, uh, then then uh, you get then you get what you really need, and then everything else. Will, oh, that's why I need to read the Bible. That's why I need to pray. That's why I need to go to church. That's why I need to start living differently. And, you know, you ever, you have friends or family members out that, that don't believe like you do? And they, and they ever ask you quite, you know, like, why do you do that? Man, so many restrictions. You don't do this. You don't do this. And you always do this. And why do you, you're so busy down there involved with that church? It makes total sense to you, hopefully. But to them, 
It doesn't. Why? There's a person missing. There's a relationship missing. And when you have that relationship, oh, that makes total sense. I can do that. And so the greatest thing we can do for those for those friends and family in, in our neighbors around us is to give them Christ and and uh, and be and represent Him well. I gave you some extra questions to consider. We won't go through those uh, tonight, but uh, just wanted you to just you know I, I hope you that you take these time take time to look through these and, and, and think about them. Really ask yourself the, the, these these questions and, and try to answer them as best you can. Go back and 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 in a way it's kind of a uh, here's a lecture here's an overview on what happened. Now go back and read Acts nine and and try to make it make more sense and, and think about the last several chapters as we see. The gospel is changing people's lives. It changed the lives of people in Samaria. It changed the lives of people in, uh, in, 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 a, in a desert, a person in the desert. It changed the lives of people in Caesarea as Philip moves up there. Now it's changing one of the toughest toughest lives there is in, uh, in Saul, who is going to be instrumental in changing many, many more lives. And think about it. This is the conversion that made all the difference for us because it was through Paul that the gospel is spread into the Gentile world, of which I don't know if anybody in here is Jewish. So we're not for Saul. Uh, I know that God could have used somebody else, but God chose him, and if it were not for him, where would where would it be with us today? And so uh, we can definitely thank God that uh, he reached a man like Saul back that night because it eventually trickled down to me.